recent survey found the average lawyer is working at least 53 hours a week. It also found attorneys who report a decline in well-being are experiencing burnout at a rate twice their counterparts who had no issues or who had improved well-being. I'm Mike Pachenik. On this episode of The Balancing Act, Perkins Coie Chief Talent Officer Jennifer Bluestein joins me to discuss preventing attorney burnout before it starts. Bluestein is a former practicing attorney who moved over into an HR role. Perkins Coie was just named one of the best professional services firms at which to work for the 20th consecutive year. Jennifer, thanks for joining me. So what are you seeing in terms of burnout across the industry and in your own firm? I'll just start out by saying I think learning about burnout is really a journey, especially you throw COVID into it. But one of the things that Perkins Coie did prior to COVID, um, for better or for worse, is we engaged with Gallup. And so we have engagement survey data. Uh, We focused just first on the staff side, on our business professionals. And so we actually kind of rely on two different surveys. So you mentioned our ranking and the great places to work. But what we actually do is, and the why behind that, is we get great survey data from everybody in the firm, regardless of title, regardless of level, and includes partners, uh, because they do an annual survey. And everybody knows that the annual survey is totally confidential. We don't see any identifying information at all. That helped us understand what burnout is because we had the data from before COVID um, and the impact after. And there's also a comment section so people can put in anything they'd like. So between working with those two trusted advisors, we've been able to really understand engagement, lack of engagement, and burnout. And so if you think about it in kind of three stages, fully engaged workforce is usually happy, productive, Uh, very attentive and proactive in improving the organization and in having each other's backs within the organization. And then burnout is when you really can't be your best self at work because you just don't have any more to give. Some of that is because of work. Some of that is because of personal, as we've seen with COVID, but most likely it's a mix of the two. And so that's how we try to look at it. Makes sense. So what are some ways you've assessed burnout levels at your firm? I think there's some really clear indicators that unfortunately we learned by going through COVID and I I, I don't even want to call it post-COVID, but kind of the recovery from COVID, there was such a boom in billable activity and in non-billable work for our business professionals as well in 2021. And so what we've seen is there's this kind of lack of responsiveness and we, we look at it in terms of are people able to meet the expectations? So we assume that if people were meeting them at some point, they know what the expectations are. And so you see this kind of decrease, decrease in work quality, increase in typos, lack of responsiveness. We saw, I think, especially at younger ages, this general lack of resilience and an increase in leaves of absence. So we looked at what are leaves of absence if you take out Uh, family leaves. Is that an increase? What does that indicate to us? And so we have both informal and formal metrics to really take a look at what what the indicators are. Now, Perkins Coie has signed the Legal Community's Wellbeing Pledge. Why'd you do that? And what's your advice to other firms who haven't yet? Well, a lot of us signed on to it years ago. I think it's about four years now. And and it was research-based saying here are the um, indicators we're getting from lawyers. 
about how much they're drinking and how much they're suffering and what are we as an industry going to do to it? And then so many firms have signed on to it and it's not restricted by size or large firms. There are small firms, there are in-house um, departments that have signed on to it. But I think it's really important because there's this acceptance of, of the notion of it that there is a well-being pledge that we as a as an industry have a problem. And if you just go talk to a therapist, if you talk to a therapist and you say, um, hey, I want somebody who specializes in lawyers, they will laugh at you and they will tell you that 30 to 70% of their clients are attorneys. Um, but so the well-being pledge is a way for us as individual employers to say the status quo is not acceptable for long-term survival of our people in our industry for success. It's very expensive to have issues with well-being. And we're going to do what we can to stop the cycle. So it's one thing to talk about well-being, but how do you normalize well-being in your firm? One of the things that I think is really tricky is firms are under pressure to grow and to grow profits, not just because people want to make more money. That's that's certainly part of it. But it's kind of a survival issue now because clients are asking for more sophisticated services. And so in order to do that, we have to invest more in our infrastructure that requires more money. So there's more pressure. And then there's the shortage of top tier associates, as we saw in all the salary increases. So now we're paying more money. And so well-being is really important from a retention standpoint, um, from just kind of doing your best work. But the bottom line is not every firm has a lot of money to invest in it. So I think one of the key items with well-being is to think about what can we do that doesn't cost a lot of money? How do you normalize your culture to turn off at times? So I think first years especially kind of know that they're really kind of on the hook to be very, very responsive. But we also want to have this kind of open sense of there are some times where it's not necessary. And if you are constantly on and constantly being bombarded every weekend, every evening, you can't turn off and you don't get to refresh. And so we've done some things that have been really useful. And in some cases, we actually partnered with clients on it. And so you will see from different people within our firm, including partners, uh, a signature line on emails that says, your work hours may not be my work hours. Please feel free to respond only during your work hours unless marked urgent, and I will do the same. People think, oh, well, you can do that because you're, you're a business professional. You don't have outside clients. I'm like, eh, I actually stole that from a partner here with a huge, huge client. And so that has caught on with the partnership. And so then other people like associates feel like, oh, okay, I can do that too. And so you, you then normalize putting a subject line of urgent or time sensitive when you're, especially when you're emailing in an evening or a weekend. The other thing that we do is suggesting that people change their signature line. It, that sounds like a pain, but once you know how to do it, it's really fast and easy. And basically put in a reminder before people go on vacation. So let's say you have associates and they're you know, planning their two-week honeymoon, more power to them, but they kind of disappear sometimes. And sometimes they forget to remind people. So in addition to letting people know months, you know, when they plan it, hey, is this time of year okay? I'd like to take this two-week time off. You know, somebody who's going to go take um, the last two weeks of December and they're in a corporate practice and they're closing deals, that's probably not going to be the best time to take that time off. But once they know that that's a decent time, they go ahead and schedule it. They let people know 
you know, here's an email, they put it on somebody else's calendar, like maybe go to an assistant and say, hey, can you put this on partner X's calendar that I'll be out these two weeks? And then you remind them a month before, two weeks before, a week before, and you have in your signature out of office dates, this through this. And if somebody's going to be covering for you, who's covering for you, um, which we also recommend setting that up. So doing training on that, encouraging that kind of, of conversation and transparency is really important. One of the things that I noticed when I got here that was very new and very different from my prior firm is when people are out of the office in firm meetings, so we have executive committee meetings for two days or whatever, just about everybody in that room has an out of office saying, I will be in executive committee meetings for the next three days. Please assume I will have a delayed response time or talk to so-and-so. So we have very high level partners, you know, practice group chairs, executive committee members, and they are being fully transparent about their availability. And so that gives permission to other people to do that. And how do you prevent that from affecting client services? You're developing the next generation by saying, I'm going to be out this week. I'm available for emergencies, but I encourage you to first contact so-and-so who's fully updated. But before you even go out, you want to let people know. I mean, they take, your clients take vacations. They do. They may not, they may not admit it, but they do. And a lot of our clients are part of the well-being pledge as well. So um, we have one partner who actually attaches an article about how not taking full time off leads to burnout. And it's a Harvard Business Review article. So she actually has a link to it in her out of office. She reaches out to her client contacts before she goes out well before, just like what we do, what I suggest we have associates do with their partners. We suggest that partners do that with their clients. What benefits is Perkins Cooey brought on board to help combat burnout? So we did change our EAP to have broader, higher quality therapists, and that really, really increased our investment. During COVID, we did lift our limits on backup childcare. Now, you also brought in Home Thrive for your team. How has the Home Thrive caregiving benefit helped? As we age, right, if we are fortunate to have living parents, they are naturally aging and they require more and more assistance. And people felt, in addition to the need to travel to go see distant parents, they also felt like they didn't know if they were doing the right thing. And so, that, you know, what are we doing as lawyers? We research. And so we'd spend hours a day researching what's the best care place, what's the best nursing home, what's the best congregate living, whatever, whatever. And so it was just a lot of stress. It was just, you know, leading to burnout. And we had people who were saying, I need to take some time off to be with this parent or to get them settled, get them moved. And so when I had heard about Home Thrive, I was like, hmm, I don't know this is probably going to be too expensive or whatever. And I, I talked to my friend at Neil Gerber who had already, you know, implemented home thrive and she was like, Oh, it's wonderful. And here's some different things that they do. So as a test case, I asked all of you, if you would help this one partner, our office managing partner who was dealing with going back and forth to Ohio. And you very kindly did. And she was just raving and some people will just write me out of the blue and they'll say, I'm, use, I'm using Home Thrive and I think it's one of the best benefits. Like other than health insurance, it's one of the best benefits we have. And lastly, Jennifer, what's your advice to young associates and partners who think they have to work all the time just to get ahead? I, I'm not saying that this is a career where you don't have to work past six o'clock. You do. It's a question of identifying when it is needed because of extensive workload. Uh, because there's nobody else to do the work, 
or because it's it's an urgent need for the client. But in terms of the routine of doing it just because, I think that's where you have to question it. And you have to look to leaders and you have to have mentors that can say, you know, one talent person saying this is not going to be enough. They have to have mentors that have lives, don't have, you know, four marriages under their belt, haven't taken a vacation in three years. Like those are not the people you want to have talk about how to be successful. The people should be diverse professionals that have had complicated lives and are able to choose to do it because they like the practice of law and they want to be successful and meet the client needs. So I think it's more about training people to be thoughtful about what's required and what's kind of a cultural norm that maybe isn't totally necessary. Thank you, Jennifer Bluestein, Chief Talent Officer at Perkins Coie, for joining me on this episode of The Balancing Act. To hear more great insights from HR luminaries, visit our blog, balancingact.homethrive.com. That's balancingact.homethrive.com. For Home Thrive, I'm Mike Pachenik.